HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. This is a very special extra cider session with uh, Gay Howard and Kay Michael from United States of Cider. This is March 2015. Uh, we're, we're kicking off a special Irish craft beer launch at Jimmy's Number 43 with Anthony and John from Rowan Imports. And we've got uh, representatives from Craigie's and Dan Kelly's two great new Irish craft ciders. So let's start with uh, Anthony from uh, Rowan Imports. Tell us about how you got this Irish craft cider portfolio together because it's, it's really exciting. And right now we're, we're, we're drinking the Craigie's. We started out, uh, my stomach was upset. I needed my first drink of the day, and Craigie's is doing the trick. <laughs> well, uh, actually, something new for us. We found these guys on Twitter, and John and I have never really been social media people. Uh, Gay has been teaching us, and we're getting a, a little bit better. But yeah, we uh, this is the first time we've ever found somebody through the web like that. Normally, we, we find people just by going to areas that we know produce amazing cider and, and wandering around. But after a quick conversation uh, and speaking with Emma, uh, Simon's wife, we, uh, we flew over to Ireland and got to just hang out with them and go and visit all of their orchards. So Olin's sister picked me up from the airport, <laughs> wandering around, and we went straight to his place. And uh, yeah, from there, was there for a week, just really checking out everything that they have, and it's, it's amazing. That's really great stuff. And, um, you know, John, you're part of the Rhone Imports. How, how is it for you guys? You, you've got some great French, German, you know, yeah. Astorian, and Astorian, also Basque ciders from ciders. Spain. We've really tried to expand in all different directions. We've also radically beefed up our local portfolio. So uh, recently we took on uh, Eden's Ice Cider from Vermont and Michigan. We're looking at some West Coast ciders. So we're really trying to rebrand cider both domestically and internationally and just it's a standalone drink and it can hold its own versus wine or beer so that's our message hear that listen to that pour it's amazing Slancha <laughs> so, <laughs> Gay how do you say it Slancha 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 so we brought some materials with us Gay you brought a a cider book what is it Slancha the complete guide to Irish craft beer and cider by Carolyn Hennessy and Kristen Jensen how long have you had that book is it a new book yeah, the book just came out, and I got it on Amazon a couple weeks ago, but it's a nice overview if you don't know very much about great, Irish yeah. craft beer and cider. And they yeah. have all kinds of tips and pairing and background information, so all right. well, book. Let's cut to the chase. So we got uh, Simon Terrell from Craigie's. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And uh, this gentleman, Olin McNeese from Dan Kelly's. Hi. So tell us a little background on, on your on your brands, how you got started, and you know what inspired you. Because it seemed not not too long ago there were just mass mass marketed uh, Irish ciders out there. Um, well, I, I come from a, a wine background, so spent twenty years working in the wine business, um, and then in two thousand and nine decided to go and do a winemaking degree. Um, and after I finished the degree, I came home and obviously there was a distinct lack of vineyards in Ireland, though the, the closest thing that we have to wine is cider. You know, we, I find it quite frustrating when we get lumped in with beer all the time because you know, we, we ferment cider like we ferment wine. We don't, we don't brew it. We do it once a year. We have an annual crop. 
uh, you know, we can't, we just can't produce it on a, on a weekly basis. So um, I wanted to try my hand at something. I couldn't move to France, uh, so I had a crack at cider. Um, and now started in 2011 and realized after about two or three vintages that actually it can be as easily as complex as, uh, as, as wine. Well, it's great. Yeah. I mean, of your two ciders that you have there, you have uh, the Ballyhook Flyer, uh, and then you have the Dalliance. And mm-hmm. the, the Dalliance, by far, I mean, that is a full-on method Chateau Noir, correct? Yeah, and, and, it's, and it, the idea is there's extended lees aging, so it's 15 months on its lees to really try and develop some of these these autolytic characters that you find in, 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 in sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're getting away from the kind of primary apple uh, aromas and getting, you know, biscuity, yeasty, uh, characters as well, but there's some great history behind Irish cider, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been if you read back in, I'm not sure who wrote about it, but a couple of hundred years ago, uh, I think it was a Dutchman traveling in Ireland said that um, that he tasted Irish cider back then and, and declared it to be as good as many of the the great European wines. So it's been around a long time. I read in in Slancha that the fine for cutting down a tree in Ireland was. Five cows, I think it is. That would be impressive. Yeah, or double if it was a cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Brown times. Yeah, okay, not anymore. Different land cells. No, no, no. We need to stop the cows. I was just worried about that. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about like the apple varieties that you use? Because that's one of the things that at Rowan Imports we've really been trying to educate people on that narrative of the variety of apple that goes into it, uh, how you raise them, or how you grow them. So like, where are your apples well, from? Well, I, I think at this point I might pass over to Odin, because he's one of the leading <clears throat> apple growers in the, in, in, in the country. So, uh, Well, um, I suppose, yeah. So we, we would, uh, you know, if I speak for, for our own cider, Dan Kelly cider, uh, we would use some Bramley, uh, which is a culinary variety. It's a, it's a relatively bitter apple. We use some cider, specific cider varieties as well, and then we'll back sweeten with dessert varieties. And depending on what we're trying to achieve, you know, we'll have we'll have a, a ability to work out of different varieties. On our own orchard, we'll grow approximately twenty varieties. Given a, we have a very small amount of cider fruit, with quite a lot of Bramley fruit, and we also have dessert. And desserts are used to help uh, pollinate the the Bramley apple. So. We'll use the Bramley apple for uh, kind of stability and pH. We don't use, you know, our own cider. We don't use any added acids or anything like that. So we use Bramley for pH. We use a cider fruit for some tannins. And we use just different, uh, depending on what we want to achieve, we use a different amount of sweet uh, dessert apples to back sweeten before we, we carbonate and, and pasteurize our cider. So we have no additives whatsoever in, in our own cider. In terms of growing the apples, we have a very kind, benign little microclimate. We're very close to the sea. We're on the the Boyne Valley, the River Boyne. We have a you know a height, an altitude. Dan, Dan Kelly's. Dan Kelly's, yeah. So our orchards are about uh, approximately eighty to one hundred feet above sea level, uh, about a mile from the sea. So we we have a a very benign microclimate, um, which suits uh, it suits growing apples. We don't have early frosts at blossom time. Um, you have a nice soil profile, well drained, uh, you know, free draining, good uh, balanced soil. So, you know, we, we, we have a very kind little environment for that. This is open to the, everyone here. So, just as a gener- general question, what are the great, or are there great cider apple growing regions in the world? Or can you grow cider apples anywhere? Well, I think, you know, there are, there are thousands of varieties of apples, and each one will suit. Each one can be grown anywhere, more or less. Uh, how suitable they are to particular climates is another question. Mm-hmm. If you take a Bramley apple, it tends to suit uh, a kind of a relatively cool summer climate. So it works well in Ireland uh, because of our cool summers and uh, the UK. But even in the difference between the north of the UK and the south of the UK, which is more like a French climate, there will be a big difference in the quality of the fruit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we could grow any dessert variety that, that you would be familiar with. But could we do it well might be another issue. So you try to pick uh, uh, cultivars, varieties that, that suit your location, uh, the type of summers you have, your, your spring blossom time. 
on you know when you're going to be likely to harvest and you know for dessert varieties uh, sunlight hours would be important if you want them to color up you know and that's for say if you want to market them for fresh sale if you're using them to to make cider with then you know you can more or less plant any apple anywhere i think but I, but I don't think it's by coincidence though that we find most of the great ciders come out of the Astorias, uh, Brittany, Normandy, UK, and we would consider our own obviously to be you know to be to be very good as well. And that 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 sort of slightly edgy climate um, where the, the the apples ripen but they really only just ripen um, is always going to produce more complex flavors than when if you're if you're growing apples in a hotter climate where you're going to get lots of sugar accumulation but not necessarily the the, the, the sugar acid balance that makes that makes so the makes so complex. So it's the maritime climate that yeah. we would experience in the area, the benefit of the Gulf Stream, all that type of you know relatively benign climate conditions. Mm-hmm. And there is no doubt that again, if you look at apples in the south of England that tend to get that late heat in in the summer, you know they don't have flavor to the same degree. So kind of. There's a little bit of rivalry there. <laughs> England versus Ireland. Yeah. Who said yeah. that? Who <laughs> I, I, don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what, what would you say the stylistic differences are between English and Irish uh, 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 ciders? Well, uh, you know, my experience, a lot of the traditional English ciders uh, would tend to be still very low carbonation, mm-hmm. quite dry. Um, that would be a, a particular style to the UK. I think our own ciders in Ireland tend to be a little sweeter. Um, for me, a bit more palatable. Uh, maybe, maybe not very highly carbonated, but certainly will feature some carbonation. Mm-hmm. We did a, a draft uh, for a show recently with very low carbonation, and we were really surprised, amazed, in fact, at how well the Irish people took to it, which is not traditional. But you know, again, if you go to the, the Spanish. Asturias, Basque country, you know, they tend to be very low carbonation as well. Oh, yeah. You know, so that would be a difference. Simon would have a better knowledge of the of the English ciders. You know, when you go away from the ma- the mass market ciders, be it Irish or English, tend to be highly carbonated, highly sugared. You know, that's their style. Coming away from that, it tends to be a bit more uh, integrity to it. Yeah, we're interested in the specialty craft ciders. Yeah, there, there is there is a there is a, a difference in the UK between the UK and Ireland as well because the UK system has allowed a lot of very small producers to to, to flourish because they have a um, they have a system there which if you produce under seven thousand liters a year, you don't pay any excise duty. Uh, we pay excise duty on the first liter. Um, so I find in the UK there are huge variations. The general quality is, is obviously very good, um, but I think, and I know I'm going to be, sound very biased here, but I think the overall general, general <laughs> quality of Irish cider is actually considerably ahead of our UK rivals. Well, we've been waiting for you guys for a long time. We, we got to taste you a little bit in Cider Week New York last October, but Gay and Kay, uh, why don't you guys join in, you know, your what you're tasting right now and we had the sure. Craigie's Dalliance oops and the uh, Craigie's Valley Hook yeah I mean Valley Hook's what I'm drinking right now and I have to honestly say I think this is a really beautifully balanced cider um, right off the nose I got butterscotch and apple peel so you get a little sweet and then I'm, 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 I'm preparing myself for that apple peel I'm expecting there to be a lot of astringency and tannin which the astringency is there very much on the finish, that fuzzy thing on the end of the tongue, and the tannin's right in the middle, and it has a you know just a nice long finish. And you even get a little like fruity note there um, in the beginning, and then towards the end, some dried floral notes, some dried grass. It's, um, you know, you said earlier that uh, wine can be as balanced and complex, I'm sorry, cider can be as uh, balanced and complex as wine, and this is, I think, a beautiful example of that. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, we we use mm-hmm. 80% uh, cider apple in Ballyhook Flyer, so 80% mm-hmm. of a variety called Davenet, uh, and that's responsible for the color, the mouthfeel, uh, those tannins as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we balance that off using a, a culinary, early ripening culinary variety called Katcha, um, which just brings that little bit of sweetness and then just 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 rounds off the the tannins a little bit as well. You know, it's funny, but Ameri- a lot of American cider makers are having an issue finding cider apples, right? Oh, yeah. The big challenge is what mm-hmm. just finding the apples. I mean, Steve Wood uh, mm-hmm. at Farnham Hills is is by far the largest producer of, of cider fruit in the United States, uh, which is I mean amazing what he's been growing. He grows a lot of Dabinets as well. Uh, that's one of the main ones. Kingston Black is another big mm-hmm. one for the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
What are the other American varieties that we know? Newtown Pippin is a big one. Right, the Newtown Pippin. Yeah, all the Pippins mm-hmm. that we find up and down the East Coast. Uh, and we're going to try a seedling cider over here eventually from New York. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to find it. And in the U.S., we don't really know that conversation yet. Very few people understand cider fruit versus dessert fruit. Uh, John and I, we're from upstate New York. We're from the Finger Lakes, which is, you know, a huge uh, cider growing or apple growing region. You know, everybody knows... Uh, What's the name of her? Orchard. No, I just forgot. <laughs> Red Jacket. Red Jacket Orchard. I mean, yeah. we see there, they've got great, that's from Geneva, New York, where we grew up. But that's going to be dessert fruit, and that's really what everybody associates with it. And getting people to understand that there are different varieties that go into this, and they each have their unique balance of acid and tannin. A beautiful share. I love that. Wonderful mm-hmm. cider. We, I mean, we really only uh, have two cider apples that work successfully within our climate. One is Dabinac, the other is um, Michelin. Um, people have trialed other things, but we just don't we just don't have the climate to get them get them right. But uh, I think it's a very important part. If you're looking to make a traditional style cider, cider apple is an integral part of that. I mean, it's a it's a god awful looking piece of fruit. Um, <laughs> you, would, you would never consider eating one. That's um, why we're on radio. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the ugliest apple I've ever seen. <laughs> but but what it contributes to to a traditional style of cider is 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 everything. All that color and mouthfeel, as I said before. And comes yeah, tannin that, comes from that horrible. horrible so Ireland, <laughs> Ireland has, has, has a good amount of cider trees. No, currently, yeah, you know, there there is a lot of uh, there are there are a lot of cider uh, trees in Ireland. Um, again, particularly the last two varieties mentioned, Dabnet Michelin. Uh, you know, we're working hard to try and introduce other varieties and see how well they function for flavor and. and you know the the overall contribution to the fruit, and I do think there's a big place. You know, the cider, the specific cider fruit, uh, lends a lot to the finished product, mm-hmm. and then you can use your other varieties to to steer a style in a particular direction. Um, and you know, as I say again, the, you can use culinary varieties to help stabilize them a little bit as well. So there's a place for for all the the major groups. But indeed, uh, I suppose the problem with cider fruit is you have no alternate market for it. It only goes to cider. Whereas if you have culinary apples or dessert apples, you know you're you're selling them to other people as well. As an apple producer, you sure. have an alternative market. So, oh, oh. Cool. Only, could you give us a little bit of a? No. Just, tell you what, we're, we're gonna, we have a lot more to talk about. We'll be back in a few minutes on our special cider sessions with Beer Chess and Brady. All right. Back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special Irish craft cider uh, special extra sessions with uh, Gay Howard and Kay Michaels of the United States of Cider. We've got uh, guys from Dan Kelly's and uh, Craigie's from Ireland and Anthony and John from Rowan Imports. So, all right, guys, we're, we're kind of having a heated debate about should we talk about Magners or not? But, I mean, from what I've read, I've, I've got uh, the book, what is it, Pete Brown's book. Uh, world's best ciders, which is pretty good. Pete Brown with Bill Bradshaw, and uh, from what I, I can tell, you guys have had a great history of, of cider making in Ireland, going back thousands of years. And it seems to me that at some point, uh, whatever the same thing happened in America with beer, there was a lot of mass marketing. And but I, I, I'm trying to tell your story. You guys are coming back with a, with a craft product, but 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 uh, Gay's looking at another book, the Schlansche book, the complete guide to Irish cider. Any great quotes in there about? What the hell's going on with Irish cider? Well, there's a lot of interesting stuff, obviously. Um, it caught my eye earlier that um, apples have been grown in Ireland for at least 3,000 years, and they feature in the Ulster legends and are mentioned in Irish literature as far back as the 7th century. And it, they even say that St. Patrick's is, has been said to have planted a number of apple trees in Ireland. So obviously Along apples... Along with everything else. Very yeah. You guys are underselling yourself. you got to go way back. Go deep, guys. I mean, what does cider mean to you as, as Irish men? Well, I suppose uh, probably all alcohol has a particular resonance for, for Irish people. But um, no, a cider, a cider has been uh, traditionally... Uh, you know, it has been used as methods of payment on farms, etc. I can tell stories about... You know, when we had guys picking apples, um, harvesting apples, 
you know, we would pay them at the end of the week and uh, one weekend we ran short of money. We just didn't expect that, that literally so many uh, bins of apples would be picked. And I was leaving this guy and I said, you know, sure, look, I'll owe you 20 pounds next week or whatever. And he went, yeah. And I said, well, maybe, you know, do you like cider? And he said, yeah, sure. And I said, well, there's some cider. Maybe you'll take that instead of the 20, the 20 pounds. And he went, yeah, okay. The next week he came back, he didn't want money. You know, he just wanted cider. So, so, so you know, that is the kind of uh, the background, you know, certainly, maybe not of recent times, but certainly in the past, people were paid with some cider. You know, the whole notion that even drinking water wasn't that pure by times and all that kind of thing. But I suppose in the, in the past, maybe uh, 30 years or so, cider had seen... Uh, Really, uh, it, its fortunes had, had plummeted. It was it wasn't seen well as a as a social drink. That kind of mass produced, very sweet drink that appealed to a young audience who who didn't uh, kind of know their limits and drank too much cider and all that type of thing. That kind of happened, and it became very unpopular. And you know, it's taken a while for cider to have got back up to where it should be in terms of. You know, a local drink, as Simon says, a local Isn't it wine. Like pour, it's amazing. Yeah, it pours well. Um, so it is a, a local drink. Uh, it is in part of our history, you know, um, and uh, people are now beginning to appreciate it again in the same way, you know. So, so we're we're, we're well, tell us back about on. we're drinking your, the Dan Kelly's cider. Are you the cider maker? Yes. I'm the dog's body, in fact. I kind of do a little bit of everything. So, yeah. Um, so this is, a, this is this particular cider is a blend of, as uh, I said earlier, uh, Bramley apple and cider fruit, uh, dabbing And then we use some uh, varietal tobacco sweeten, uh, bicarbonate pasteurize, and that's it. So, um, yeah, they, that's, that's our cider there currently at the moment. Um, you know, uh, I suppose for Kay, maybe you'd have an idea of, you know, what you how you find the... The bouquet, the, sure. the feel of it, sure. etc. We can talk about that, but first, can I ask you a question? Sure. Because uh, I noticed on your label it says Irish hand pressed cider. Could yeah. you tell us about, like, paint us a picture? What does that mean, hand pressed? So we get each apple. And, okay. and, 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 and I'm sorry, this is a two part question. Okay. And then, how would you, like, what is important about that? How does it. It's an Irish drinking grain. How Take one it, apple in your two hands. We have a bottle, we use the side of the table now, and we just press really hard. I like that's it. it. That's, I that's like it. it. I suppose the, the hand press is really to signify that in our scale. Um, you know, it is so manual. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we select, we have the, the bulk bins that come out of the orchard will hold around about in pounds, seven or eight hundred pounds of fruit. Mm-hmm. And we, we would actually take them out of the, the, the bins by hand for a small scale producer mm-hmm. into a little elevator. You know, we would select the, the fruit that we want into a little elevator through a wash into the press. And everything is very manually done. It goes through a little mill into a hopper, we scoop it out into the into the, the pressing bags mm-hmm. and then we operate the equipment to, to press it. It's a little American machine, a good nature press. We then tip it out, take the palmas out and again we separate that. So it's it's very manual, it's very hands on. So mm-hmm. hand press is really just to convey that that is uh, the kind of the scale that we're in. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think what's important to understand in, in terms of the, the style of production that we smaller producers do is that you know all we can base our, our ciders on is the quality of the raw material mm-hmm. um, you know we don't have or we don't have the ability to manipulate them in maybe the way that the larger uh, scale producers would so it's very important that when the apples come in from the orchard that we select the fruit very carefully we throw away anything that's that's rotten um, so that we have this really outstanding primary fruit and then when we do process it we handle it with, with care so you know that you're, you're so you're not you're not folding back in fresh juice you're not folding in no. apples against corn syrup or anything like that no nothing but like some that. of the larger producers do yeah. you know, we've talked to some I don't want to name them but yeah, yeah. I'm not impressed when someone's putting corn syrup into their side no yeah. the, 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 the only for ourselves it doesn't happen yeah, I mean, I think probably Ola and I are the same in this. That the the only additions that we we make are um, some some inoculated yeasts, uh, and again, that's something that, that well, yeah, you, we, we, we you just move. Yeast, yeah, we, we move premises. So my, my theory is you need to you need to introduce an inoculated yeast when you're into a, into a new premises. Uh, to ensure a, a smoother um, guaranteed fermentation but then second year we won't do that and we'll just use non-inoculated yeasts after that the only other addition that I, I make is um, is some sulfites just for, uh, for for guaranteeing freshness but again the levels of those are, are very very low 2 grams 2 grams per, per 100 litres 
which is which is really very 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 low by modern standards. And yeah. uh, you know, for for ourselves, we kind of um, we use a, just a wild yeast, and we don't use sulfites. It's a good job. I have a market for some cider vinegar. So when one, <laughs> when one goes wrong, uh, you know, put it out to the side, and you know, yeah. we, we we know we have a market for it. But mm-hmm. you know, I suppose the, the style, and again, uh, Cider Ireland as an organisation, which is how Anthony and John came uh, about us. I suppose mm-hmm. Cider Ireland would have a fairly strict criteria as to how you can make your product. Uh, you know, the juice. You know, just the criteria. Your level of involvement in it, mm-hmm. you know, none of the Cider Ireland brands are just farmed so what, out to somebody else. What is Cider else. Ireland? Little umbrella organisation for for you know cider producers who want to uh, adhere to good standards. Do you use the word craft? What, what are the terms that you use? Yeah, it's just well, Cider Ireland. Cider Ireland, yeah. I suppose um, you know we have a little kind of. Uh, Fairly loose. Well, I say loose. There's a little kind of manifesto as to how you would go about producing your cider, and it won't allow you to use corn syrups. It won't allow you to use that. It won't allow you to let it go to some you know large producer and have it uh, contracted out. You need to be involved in it yourself. You have to be the person that presses the apples uh, and makes the cider. You can't have it contracted out, as, as Owen says. We also, you can't, you can't uh, add sugar. You can't add water. Uh, there are, there are, there's a sort of strict criteria to try and say, look, you know, we are we are trying to do something that is really focused on the quality. It's not about mass production. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, the, the only thing we can compete on is the quality of our raw material and how we treat that raw material. So that's why we have this association. Uh, we made it an all an all Ireland association. So I think there are 13 members now in the whole island of Ireland. Um, and every time we had a new one, uh, uh, our customers would go, "Oh my God, not another, <laughs> not another craft cider prison." You're getting cheese. There's only thirteen of us. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. We that, we uh, think that's amazing. How many are, are you importing, Anthony? Uh, just three producers. So we got to try all thirteen, and nice. we work with our favorite ones. So uh, let's give us the list. Uh, so we've got uh, Olin, obviously, with his Dan Kelly's. Uh, then we've got Simon's the Craigies, uh, which is the Craigies is both the Ballyhook and the Dalliance. And then William, who's on a plane right now and should be here. Oh, I believe he's landed. That's the Longville from Cork, uh, which we'll be drinking later tonight. Uh, but uh, can you tell me a little bit more about the um, uh, about Cider Ireland? Because that's one of the things that really drew us to you. Would you consider it similar to an Appalachian? Uh, and would you want stronger ones? I mean, we, we love the idea of Appalachians. We have one in Asturias. We have an Appalachian. Uh, the French have one, although the it has to be. Also, the Basque, yeah, Basque yeah. has an Appalachian. Um, What's the French one? The French, they have one in Normandy and in Brittany, but the law over there, it can't be a dry cider. So most of the ciders that we work with are dry. Any of the sweeter ones aren't acceptable under the Appalachian because they're too sweet, although it's not that they're back-sweetened. It's just the Appalachian only considers things that are the, the sweet version uh, applicable. I'm not really sure why. Anybody want to contest them? Yeah. But I, I, th- I think I think the you know the the, the idea of cider Ireland uh, is to is to go down a path that will lead us to the, hopefully that some kind of appellation mm-hmm. uh, system. Um, you know we have we have quite distinct regional differences in our apples. So if you like in Ireland there are three distinct bands of apple apple growing. We have the northern band in Armagh, um, and then you would have the the band of orchards. Uh, where Odin's situation just above uh, the city of Dublin and then we have the southern orchards which are around Waterford, Tipperary, Cork, uh, Kilkenny and a bit in in Wexford as well Um, and you know what we need to do the future of cider making in Ireland in in my opinion is to is to start to accentuate those regional differences because there's a different there's a different geology there's different geography and in different climate Um, and the future for us is to is in the same way as the the French have done for years with their with their wines is to say you know this comes from a very specific place and our objective needs to be to 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 display and portray uh, the specifics of that of that place. And if you can just put it into very broad terms, very again very broadly speaking, the main uh, characteristic differences between the three bands is it higher lower tannins or sweetness? Uh, what is it that people can expect? If they're if they learn that their cider is sourced from the northern band as opposed from the southern band, for example. Well, uh, certainly from my experience growing apples, you will tend to expect uh, higher higher sugars in the south. Um, 
you know, even though Ireland's not a big country, it, it will have those differences. Um, so I would see apples grown in the north would tend to be much uh, firmer, denser flesh, lower sugars. You know, um, as you go further south, higher sugars, less dense in terms of flesh. But juice yields will be possibly higher in the north and less in the, in the south. But the sugars will uh, will will impact on uh, alcohol and flavour. You know. And I think I think you know uh, obviously acids are uh, acids are another important component of the of the fruit makeup. Mm-hmm. And as Olin says, we're a small country, so you know you could never say that we have lower acid uh, varieties. We still, we always get very good acidities. Mm-hmm. Our cider our cider fruit is the only one really where we get a we get a relatively high pH. But when we're talking on the on the on the culinary apples and sometimes on the dessert apples, you could be talking two point eight, two point nine, three pH, mm-hmm. um, and on the the the, the cider apples, three point eight, three point nine, four. Um, so yeah, uh, plenty of acidity certainly in the in the in the culinary and dessert apples, which is important. Yeah, and even even sometimes you can pick up a very sweet uh, uh, dessert fruit and have still be very very acidic. You know, so it's again, it's about choosing your fruit, knowing what each uh, varietal will give to your cider. You know, if you pick up Discovery, uh, you'll have Discovery uh, dessert fruit in the states. It tends to be very sweet, very fragrant, but still very, very acidic. So you use that with care. You know, you won't use too much. Well, for my style, I won't use too much of it. You know, so you have to you have to be aware of the varietals you're using, and that's that's part of the that's part of the fun, that's part of the challenge. You know, and going back to cider Ireland, I think you know when people are are actually you know voluntarily going in and partaking of the of the kind of standards that we're trying to set out. They are automatically trying to produce a superior quality product. Mm-hmm. So, and that's very important. We like that, Simon. What, what what do you have to say about Dan Kelly's cider? <laughs> You're going to judge each other's I, I love what Odin does, and, I, and not just because he's sitting we know right love next it, to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you guys, um, are, you guys are flying yeah, yeah, around yeah. the world together. But, no, but we've, we've always said that actually there's a, there's, a, there's a certain similarity to 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 what we do. Um, you know, I think we 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 both appreciate that 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 body and color and structure that the the, the Davenet brings us. And I find Odin's is uh, my my the tannins in my cider are probably more pronounced than than Olin's um, and and so it's kind of like you know uh, someone once said to me you know it's difficult to compare these things because it's like having children and someone says you know which child do you prefer well, we, heard that, <laughs> we know that part but what is it like the Dan Kelly's has like this kind of overripe fruit flavor it's like real apple right? it's yeah. a very good yeah. apple flavor that yeah. I get from it like, like a, you know a baked apple kind of thing going on mm. that I'm detecting but it's also got a like, kind of a smoke element like yeah. right off the bat the aroma yeah, is burnt wood and it's softened up quite a bit now but I find like sort of now on the finish you get this really kind of sultry thing happening on your tongue and then for, from, from my perspective I mean in Ireland do they serve your do you actually first of all sell your ciders in Ireland or these are just export products um, we sell at home you yeah, do yeah. and what's the, what's the temperature a, a typical temp- serving temperature because right now we've had fairly cold here I, I, I keep yeah. things in a cold fridge in New York City speaking for myself I'd recommend kind of fridge cold bar fridge cold uh, the style in Ireland has been um, to drink very cold ciders for, for refreshment um, I think fridge cold t- tends to suit quite well. As you get warmer, obviously the flavors change, develop. Um, but if you're selling in bars, I would just say, look, in a, in a regular bar fridge, without ice. I, I, without I, ice. Yeah. One point I probably would slightly disagree with Olin on is that I would go for a slightly warmer temperature. I think that... Um, uh, particularly on, say, on, on Olin's side or my Ballyon Flyer, uh, if it goes too cold... Obviously, the flavors are slightly numbed. The tannins tend to come out a little bit more. Uh, when it's slightly warmer, you get more of that, more of the flavors coming out. Um, and, and you know, that's just a, a, a personal preference. But it's, uh, I think it's, for me, it's important. All right. Well, it's been a great show so far. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Okay, 
Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special extra cider sessions with Gay Howard and, and Kay Michaels of the United States of Cider. We're talking with the, the new forefront of Irish craft cider. They're not that new. they got Cider Ireland, 13 producers in Ireland, but they're here in New York City now, just coming in with uh, Anthony and John from Rowan Imports. So, what are you guys talking about? We were talking about vintages, actually, and just... How on the on the back of these bottles, you'll it says these are vintage products and they change year to year. And on the front of the labels, they say it, and that's something we can't do in the United States. We're not allowed to have vintages on well, our ciders. Mm. Um, we're not allowed to. The U.S. government does not. The TTB does not permit okay. uh, vintages. So you're saying that's another thing that makes cider Ireland. Uh, you're, these are special craft products that they can actually. Be, I mean, how did you get? Well, why 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 wouldn't you put a vintage on? The, the label you know I, I don't really understand it we are trying to you know we, we as I said earlier we only get one attempt a year at making it we have one crop a year um, for me it would be more difficult to try and make something that tastes the same year in year out I, I, I want to be able to say look 2012 I mean you can taste it in our 2012 dalliance I think which is a um, it's got that kind of uh, more vibrant, fresher character from which, which is very typical of 2012 because it was a pretty, pretty bad summer. Um, so we didn't get hugely ripe fruit. Whereas our 13s, 13, 2013 was a was a very warm summer for us, and so our, we got very good ripe fruit. And the subsequent mouthfeel that you get as a result of that higher levels of glycerol um, should be should be shown. I think what's not to like about a, a vintage. I like vintage too. I, I think with every product, whether it's it's food or wine or whatever, I think the, the more you know categorical, you know, I mean, how would you how would you describe it, Kay? Well, like, I mean, I what's think better? You just have more categories, more more challenges. I mean, I mean, in terms of categories and challenges, I don't know, but I mean, the thing that I like about it, putting vintages on is that it reinforces the idea of seasonality. Um, that we have specific growing seasons for things that they are harvested once a year. That we do these things to preserve the the you know miraculous food that we're able to grow, and um, to drive that agricultural aspect because um, you know people need to know people need to know what what their food sources are because these like as we've discussed earlier are like our beautifully like produced small batch products that take a lot of care that take a lot of consideration into taking care of the trees into taking care of the fruit and producing wonderful flavors because. Everything you do to something affects its flavor. And when you have, like, a mass industrial produced thing, if you're freezing the juice and saving it for later and and then making cider from it in, you know, July, um, it tastes differently. And it we don't get the same sort of sensory experience for it. Our bodies don't react to it in the same way. So, yeah, I'm all for vintages. Appalachians, I think, we were talking about earlier, I think, in... in uh, you know, it's kind of exciting. I, I I know that when I buy something that has a certain appellation, I know it's uh, guaranteed to be of a certain ilk, right? But in the U.S., I'm sort of against it. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know why. I just think it's like it's our American way. We kind of do what we want. And, I'll disagree with uh-huh, that. Yeah. I, I would love to see it. Maybe that's because, you know, as uh-huh. importers and distributors of it, we're always trying to find ways to really hone the message of the products mm-hmm. that we work with. Um, I love the Appalachians because, first of all, what you mm-hmm. said about them I think is completely true, that it guarantees a certain level of care that's put into the product. Mm-hmm. It says that this person knew that it came from this specific place. Yeah. Uh, we're going to try the, the Aaron Burr ciders later and mm-hmm. how he even has his north slope, his south slope. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. It is amazing. Um, <laughs> the flip side is that... Since most uh, true cider apples are coming from Lebanon, New Hampshire right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. we don't really have the production to have appellations for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, apple trees take a long time to grow. I mean, how long are your trees, or how old are your trees, would you say? Well, we have a range, um, we have a range in, in, uh, on our farm um, that are just a little over, some from a little over 50 years old to uh, some that are about 10 currently. And what what's, do you think is the proper age for a tree before it starts producing really well-rounded fruit? Well, I think uh, typically you need it to be 10 to 15 years of age because younger trees will produce smaller numbers of fruit, but they'll be larger. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that energy uh, has gone into producing large fruit, which tends to have a, uh, not as good a taste profile. The older trees produce bigger numbers of fruit, smaller fruit, and they tend to be a different flavor profile, tend to be nicer. 
So, uh, yeah, you know, we would say that the older trees still work very well for us. There was one particular block that we um, that hadn't been cropping very well, and we had looked at it for a while and kind of went, you know, we're going to have to replace that, take that out. And we didn't get around to doing it that particular year, and the next year we looked at it again and went, yeah, we have to take that out. Again, for whatever reason, we didn't get around to doing it. And the following year, same conversation. It still didn't get around to taking it out, and it produced a mammoth crop and continued to do so. So sometimes the, the blocks will take they need almost a rest, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's the kind of thing that will happen. But an older tree will produce, I think, uh, a nicer, more flavoursome fruit. Well, and then, uh, Simon, so the next cider, we're waiting for you, buddy, from, uh, was it Longville House? Yep. Who wants to talk about this cider? Why don't you start, Olin? <laughs> okay, we'll do it. Oh, okay. for a cake. Longville House. Yeah, Longville House. I mean, this is lovely. It's um, definitely, again, getting a lot of baked apple or cooked apple from it. Um, also, I'm getting sort of coriander, um, a little bit of bitter and spice on the end, which is really nice. Not as much tannin in this one, this one I don't think, but um, what do you think, very Kay? well balanced. Well, I'm enjoying it. Kate's much more articulate at pinning mm. down the flavor, so I defer to her at this point. Mm. And then, Owen, really speak about your, your colleagues. Are you guys colleagues or competitors or what? Well, um, friendly, friendly competitors. Yeah. Long yeah. House. Yeah, yeah, we all like each other to our faces, to each other's faces. <laughs> you know, we have the lights out from behind. No, look, uh, i got to say, uh, you know, we get on very well with the guys. We... Uh, we all know each other. We, we were able to pick the phone up to each other and say, you know, how are you getting on with this guy or that guy? Um, you know, I think there's, there's certainly a great camaraderie uh, amongst uh, amongst uh, generally the producers. You know, um, it's Ireland's too small of a country to have too many enemies. <laughs> so, um, so if I said next year we're going to announce the, the Irish Craft Cider Awards on Heritage Radio Network, yeah. who's your nominee? I've got to say, I, I am a big fan of, of uh, Craigie Ciders. I think the ethos is very good. Um, and again, it's not just because Simon's sitting here beside me and he's taller than me. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan. Um, yes, you can fix me up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, big fan. And there's lots of really... There are lots of actually really good products. Another guy quite local to us who isn't represented on this occasion, uh, Mark Jenkinson, makes a lovely cider. Uh, obviously, William down at Longville, great family history to, to William's place as well. Um, you know, he's got uh, he's got some nice ciders, and you know, uh, there's there's room for everybody. And, and you know, if they're making nice ciders, why wouldn't you appreciate them? I think cider is a civilized drink, and you probably agree with me, Kate. I you know, do. Starting about one thirty today, it's kind of lunchtime. Yeah, I'm feeling very calm and relaxed. My stomach was upset. And Absolutely. Well, you know, Gay and I have always now. been big friends of cider for breakfast. Oh, <laughs> it's lower alcohol. Yeah, it's great with food. It's perfect to start your day. It is. Yeah. yeah. What are the customs in Ireland? I mean, let's forget about the mass-marketed Magners on ice. You said that that made a kind of a Help spread the word aside, you think? Yeah, definitely. Look, I mean, you know, they did an incredible marketing campaign, and and we've been able to skate in on 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 their coattails. Um, But as Owen referred to earlier, you know, Magnus for the most part is is drunk in pubs, in pint glasses, over ice. Um, I personally, if 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 it was down to me, we would be serving our ciders in stemmed stemmed wine glasses just like we are now just like we are now because you know again we're trying to accentuate the aromas and, and of, of, of the cider and putting it in a pint glass with ice you know, I think people are against pint glasses anyways and talk about elevating the game in terms of beer in New York City uh, Yepe who's the, the evil twin brewer he also is mm-hmm. affiliated with this uh, great bar in Brooklyn mm-hmm. called Torst and he came in one time and we had some pints and, and he really gave me that dirty look as if serving anything in a, a pint glass is, is not the right way to serve it. And I feel that way. I mean, we're drinking with stemware and, you know, mm-hmm. just like a wine is. Yeah. Getting all the beautiful aroma. We're having a good time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the thing about cider, it's, it's uh, you guys are in Ireland, and uh, you know, what, what else is there about the Irish cider scene? I mean, there was a joke, it was one of those absolutely fabulous shows from the 1990s in England where, the, you know, the, the children of the hippies, they didn't really drink, so they drank cider. And, and it's, I, I, don't, I think for a while it seemed as like a, a, a drink, a light drink. Is that how people perceived it? A breakfast drink. Yeah, yeah. breakfast drink. <laughs> 
Yeah, you weren't an alcoholic if you excited for breakfast. Sure, no, that, that was the difference. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think we have a you know there is a slow cultural change coming around. Um, I don't, as I said, I don't like to compare ourselves to beer, but um, when we've seen what has happened in the craft beer market in the last. Ten years in Ireland has been nothing short of phenomenal. I think it's been the same in in, in, in the states and yeah. in, in New York in particular. Um, but now we're moving away from these, uh, you know, uh, mass-produced things to to more uh, beers and ciders that articulate more of their their origins. Um, and as a result, we've moved it out of the pub into the restaurant into stemware, into food matching. And, and it's a slow, it's a, look, it's a very slow, long road um, because we've got a lot of people to convince. But I think that, um, that once we get it in the right places uh, and it's served and recommended by, by sommeliers or, you know, or by, by, really, by really good bar staff, then, then there's a kind of a snowball effect. And I think we're just beginning to see this now in Ireland. Uh, Let's talk about what you guys are doing. So you're here in New York. It's, it's March 9th, 2015. You're doing a, a launch for industry only. Yep, tonight. Jimmy's number 43. Absolutely, right here at Jimmy's. And then where are you heading this week? And then after that, we're going to swing by Proletariat. And then tomorrow, we're going to be at Queen's Kickshaw. Uh, and they're soon to be opening up Wassail down the Lower East Side, which is going to be New York's first cider-only bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on Thursday, or sorry, Wednesday, we're going to be at uh, Owl Farm which is one of the best craft beer and cider places. They now have almost as many ciders as they do beers on. Huge selection. Mm-hmm. Huge yeah. cider yeah. selection, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is down on, in... On draft two or in bottles? Mostly by the bottle. So, yeah. By South the glass. Slope, the South Slope, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're going to be at Cooper's Craft in their new Chelsea location on Thursday, uh, which is one of the best Irish bars that carries true craft Excellent. Irish products. Mm-hmm. And we will also be at the Ballymaloe. Am I saying Ballymaloe. Which is, can you guys tell me a little bit more about it? It's a craft mm-hmm. Irish food festival. Well, Doreen Allen, it would be kind of legendary in Irish food circles for uh, everything she's done uh, from her from her restaurant, from her family business. Is this in, in New York? No, or in uh, Ireland. It's yeah, a in festival Cork, yeah. in Ireland. But Ireland. We're, we're doing, yeah, we're doing a, uh, a promotion for it on Thursday night. It's on Broadway, but it's for D- trade. Doreen Allen is here to talk about yeah. The, yeah. The, the festival. Yeah. So these are some good places. So when the show's aired in March, these are places you can go and still find. Absolutely, they're going to be up the entire time. Yeah. And then this festival is this week. It's is this all week, things yeah. Irish, or just? I think that uh, I'm just not fully aware, but I think it's uh, a big promotion of all things Irish, and yeah. particularly uh, Ballymaloo, which is a brand that Arena Allen has, and she's just fantastically well regarded. But Anthony, are, are you getting the, the craft sellers also into like some upscale restaurants and like, Gramercy Tavern? Absolutely. I mean, we're going to be Juliet's going to be here later today, uh, so we're going to have everyone from Gramercy Tavern to Hearth to uh, Nomad Hotel to we'll be at uh, the beer. Um, what's it called? Beer table tomorrow. Uh, Beer Table Pantry. Beer Table Pantry. We'll be in Grand Central tomorrow promoting ciders if you want to come on by before you get on the train. Uh, We're going to be all across the city. We've got about 45 different places you can see on our website. We're going to have all the schedule up there. Uh, It's rowanimports.com. It's not irishcraftcider.com. It's not irishcraftcider.com. If you go to Cider Ireland, they'll give you the link to it as well. Uh, But yeah, we're all over Twitter and Facebook right now. You can see the whole schedule and please come on by to any of the events. We're more than happy to have you. So again, since... Our listeners won't be able to attend the trade tasting this afternoon. What are some features? Like, what, if I was working at a top restaurant or bar in New York City, why would I come to this trade tasting today? I would say to meet the producers and, and learn about the cider. I mean, we really need to be educating people about what is true craft cider. And we're so lucky to have these people over from Ireland to really present it, to talk about their cider, about their apples, how they grow it, the history of it, and educate people what is the difference between something that's truly artisanally made and something that is a mass-produced product. And there's no one better than these fine gentlemen here to do it. I think if we could leave you as the... Uh, the reader or the listener with one thing is that cider is generally not what you probably consider it to be. Yeah. And so I'd say if you're an interested consumer or a buyer or really anybody, um, I would just ask you to try it. And I think you'll probably be surprised pleasantly, we hope. Yeah. All right. And then, Gay and Kay, any, any final words on what we tasted today? 
Well, I'm, one, I'm just excited to finally have tasted these ciders from Ireland that we've been thinking about and hearing about for a while. So thank you guys for coming and bringing them to us. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think now that uh, Rowan has brought them to the people, mm, the people should go out and have them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, obviously coming through what I taste, uh, the quality of the apples, you, you, you can taste the heritage, you can taste the terroir. Um, they all have distinctly good um, fruit quality and uh, tannin and not a lot of salinity acid, but um, really lovely, really lovely. Thank you for bringing them. Thank you. Simon, give us your final pitch for why you should be best craft cider of the year. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, when you think about where Ireland is, we're a small, very small island situated in the northwest corner of, uh, sitting in the middle of the Atlantic, in the northwest, northwest corner of Europe, uh, I've never tasted better apples than the apples that are grown out of, out of Ireland. And I've tasted apples from New Zealand, Australia, France, and I reckon our apples beat them hands down. And therefore, as I go back to, again, our raw material, if our raw material is good, our job is just to convert that. In, in Pete Brown's it. book, he said one of the Magnus ads was filmed in New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> Funny stuff. We don't, we don't need Owen, that. Owen, wrap it up. <laughs> why, why should your cider be considered one of the best craft ciders in the world? Um, look we we yeah we grow apples we have a long tradition of growing apples we've always made a little bit of cider we're 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 trying we're exploring we're constantly trying to find different ways of doing things better um you know we 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 think uh we can recommend the drink as a nice little drink um i think the flavor comes out it's easy to drink it's 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 good quality um and beyond that, uh, everybody else has to be the judge, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who've helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. They have many great ciders, including Farnham Hill from Lebanon, New Hampshire, that we've all been plugging tonight. Uh, thanks to Gay K, Anthony, John, Owen, and Simon. A lot of new friends here for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. This is a special extra cider session show. And uh, thanks to our engineer, Jack Inslee, who will be putting this all together. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. (laughs) 